0: Preschool and Beyond, a podcast where we tackle some of the most common and the most challenging issues facing preschool-aged children and their families. Recording from Discovery Child Development Center is your host, Mike DeLott.
1: Hi, and welcome to episode 38 of Preschool and Beyond, Promoting Positive Behavior. Since we launched Preschool and Beyond 18 months ago, we've received so many great tips and pieces of advice from our guests. For today's episode, I want to bring together some of the best ideas about promoting positive behavior into one episode. In this compilation episode, we will share 10 strategies from past shows that you can start using today to promote positive behavior at home. I encourage you to listen to the full episodes for more details on the methods we discussed today. If you've already listened to all our episodes, thank you so much for your support of this podcast. Also, this episode should be a great refresher for you. Strategy number one is to discover the motivation behind the behavior. What's causing that behavior that you're trying to eliminate? Is it something in the environment? Is it something physical? In episode 13, Tina Payne Bryson discusses what she calls chasing the why.
2: The first thing that we want to be thinking about in the moment is, what is this behavior about? You know, I mean, what's really behind this behavior? And I I think, you know, this is a huge departure, this way of thinking, than how most people, including mental health professionals and um, educators and behavioral specialists, think. And that is to know that behavior has a purpose. There's a reason behind it. And children do what they do for a reason, even if they're not aware of it. So, you know, an obvious example is if your child's really tired, they're really hungry, um, and they freak out, they melt down, the reason they're doing that is because their whole little nervous system is dysregulated, right? Right. Um, Or a kid who's anxious about something might act out and and be really overly silly or even aggressive. So the first question is, what's behind the behavior? To kind of peel back the layers and swim through, what's the feeling or the experience, the mind behind the behavior?
1: number two is to validate your child's feelings. Children want to feel heard and validating their feelings can also help them provide you with more information as to where their feelings and emotions are coming from. Here's Susan Stiffelman, in episode 36, talking about the importance of validating feelings.
3: One of the things I teach in my work, I talk about the importance of not overloading a child who's frustrated with reasons. And really, it's not useful when a child has... I call it flipping the switch. That's not the time to explain why they can't have what they want. It is the time to commiserate, to acknowledge their sadness. You were really hoping you could have the cookies. It doesn't really seem fair that mommy or daddy won't let you have them before dinner. I I can see how much you love those cookies. Those are all just validating statements that help the child feel that you're attuned, that you're with her, that she's not off on this island alone where where it is a cookie-less world and very sad because of it, but rather that you know, there is this sturdy, grounding presence that can sit with her and give her a hug if she wants one, but that doesn't flood her with explanations or reasons at that time.
1: Our third strategy is to make sure you find time each day to connect with your child. Setting aside time to give your child undivided attention each day helps strengthen your relationship with your child provides opportunities for your child to receive positive attention. Dr. Kristen Wins discusses the importance of having special time with your child in episode 31.
4: I'm a huge fan of the daily special time, as we call it. So when we're working with um, parents of little ones and, you know, on up through the tween teen years, even we really recommend it's critical to try to carve out 15, 20 minutes of one on one time with your child. And it may not sound like a lot of time, but there is something um, about that amount of time um, that, you know, there's research behind showing that kids who get that tend to do better across the board. So um, sometimes parents get stressed and say, well, I don't have the time every night to do that. But um, as long as most nights, one of the parents is carving out that time with the child, and it's meant to be child led where the kid picks the activity. Um, it's amazing how much that can improve behavior, honestly, during the day, because if the kids are getting fed and nurtured with that quality time with you, that's not about reprimands and discipline, right. um, they're going to be more motivated to behave. So finding moments for the special time, um, I'm a big fan of nighttime snuggles at bedtime, even for older ones that, that kids need that time with us at the end of the day. Um, and just to look throughout the day for moments to give um encouragement and praise and physical affection Ki- that kids need that, like they need food and water and sunshine. Yeah. So parents, um, even when they're frustrated with their little ones need to be consciously looking for moments to, Give them a high five or a hug and say they love them, how how proud they are. Those things are really critical to to the parent child relationship and just to the child's development.
1: In addition to setting aside time daily for your child, strategy four is to find ways to incorporate play throughout your day. Young children are often more likely to cooperate when instead of just commanding them to do something, you can bring a playful element to a task. In episode eighteen. Joanna Faber and Julie King share ways to add play to your parenting toolbox.
5: So we've got a whole chapter on ways of engaging cooperation that make kids feel cooperative instead of feeling resentful. Julie, you want to give the first off off. one? Yeah, the first yeah. one that we introduce is to be playful. On this one, you kind of have to be in the mood. Um and, and people will say, well, what does that mean to be playful? Like, I don't feel very playful. I don't have any I- playful ideas. <clears throat> so here's one tip that we offer, uh, which is to make an inanimate object talk. It's just a surefire hit with most of the preschool crowd. So instead of parents saying, sit still so I can get your shoe on. "Quinn, You're hurting my leg. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to get you to hold still. <laughs> so, don't you dare kick me. You will be so sorry, young lady. I don't care. Okay, let's redo that scene and, and introduce a little playfulness. Uh, <clears throat> time to get your socks on. No. Wait. I think I heard your socks say something in my ear. What? I feel so flat and empty. Please put a foot in me. Hi, sock. Here's a foot for you. Wait, now the other sock is talking. Hey, I don't want a foot in me. You have to have a foot in you. It's your job to keep Joanna's foot warm. Yeah, it's your job. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, when we introduce an element of play, often we get much more cooperation. <laughs> yep.
6: Um,
5: and another way to be playful is to make something into a game. So, instead of saying... This room is a pigsty. You need to clean up or I'm throwing these toys away. This of course, is what we're tempted to do, right? we really want to do. Right. We might say, let's set the timer. How many toys do you think you could toss in the basket in one minute? Ready, set, go. Or maybe you'll try, let's have a race. I'll bet you can't get all the Legos away before I finish cutting the carrots and peppers for dinner. Ready, set, go. Or maybe you want to get to the car. Should we walk forwards or backwards? Or we might say, "Do you want to hop like a kangaroo to the car, or slide like you're on roller skates?" When we give them playful choices, it changes the whole mood. But they can be, get pretty grim for a kid being told what to do. In fact, it can get grim for an adult having to get the kid to do all these things. Right. Playfulness puts everyone in better spirits and makes feels makes kids feel cooperative.
1: Our fifth strategy is another way to bring positive attention to your child, and that is to notice when they are doing the right thing and to acknowledge them in those moments. In episode three, Dr. Gabriella Stein discusses the concept of catching them being good.
7: And the other thing that the mistake that sometimes parents make is that they don't notice the times that they actually do listen. And so one thing um, that's really can be key is noticing that, Oh, thank you for coming to brush your teeth Mm -hmm. and just letting them know that you're noticing that they're actually complying with your request. Um, A lot of times as parents, we focus on all the times they don't comply as as opposed to focusing on the times they do comply. And we know from the research that noticing those, those times they comply And acknowledging that compliance is another good way to increase compliance.
1: Right. And definitely being specific about what you're praising them for. So if you call your child up to brush his teeth and he comes up right away instead of just saying, great job, you know, be specific. uh, I see that you came up as soon as I asked you to.
7: Yeah, that specific praise is a really key component. A lot of times we'll say, kids, you'll be a good girl or you're doing a good job, but they might not know what that specific praise is for or that global praise is for. So it's really important to say, thanks for coming to brush your teeth or nice job getting your teeth clean (laughs) or whatever that might be that you're asking them to do. Or you put your shoes on in 10 seconds. Awesome job um, being barely specific about what they did.
1: Our sixth strategy is about offering choices to children. One common theme we have heard on this podcast is how beneficial offering choices is. It not only helps children practice their decision-making skills, but helps them feel empowered. Pre-K teacher Courtney Garver in episode 2 shares ways you can offer appropriate choices each day.
0: Um, So if a child's going to make good choices, we as parents and teachers have to give them practice in making them. So making the choice between the red shirt or the blue shirt or which book to read before bed can set a foundation for weighing options and, and living with the result of your choice. So um sometimes I know with my older children, they have to eat vegetables. So I give them a choice. Would you like to have green beans or peas today? So it's not an option not to have a vegetable, but they get to make the choice of what vegetable they want. When they were little and it was time for going to bed, obviously young children don't really like going to sleep. So I would say, you know, it's time for us to sleep. Do you want the nightlight on or off? Would you like your door open or shut? So they were having a say in how they were going to sleep, but they weren't given a choice not to sleep. So you want the choices to be reasonable and, and something that's going to, you want to happen.
1: Right. Because you you don't know, always know what they're going to pick. You might think they're going to make a certain choice and they could surprise you. So you definitely want to be prepared and be okay with those choices that you're offering. I think another thing you want to keep in mind is to avoid false choices. You know, if you're saying, if you're giving them a the choice and they Pick something you didn't want them to pick, you have to respect that or it's not gonna work. And you also sometimes people think they're giving a choice when it's now, do you want to do you want to put your shoes on or go up for timeout? You know, it might be one thing you need to do it that way to get them into the car, but that's not giving them choice. That's, you know.
0: If you have a daughter like my younger one, she would say, I want the time out, which obviously is not going to help you get out the door. So you want it to be choices that you can live with.
1: Our seventh strategy is to establish clear expectations. You want to set children up for success as best you can before an activity or transition. In episode 33 on ADHD, Brendan Mahan talks about how he uses clear expectations to make a trip to the store successful
8: clear expectations if you're going to target and your kid is not doing the best job of staying with you at target on the way to target you want to talk about how all right now when we get there the expectation is that you're going to be within three steps of the cart for the entire time that we're at target and if you're able to do that We can go look at the books or look at the toys and hang out there for a little while before we go home. We're not necessarily going to buy anything, but we can pick a look and see what's there. You get three shots on goal and then we're just going to leave. That's the consequence, right? Yep. And then you get to Target on the way into Target, you go through that process again. (laughs) Um, Because now they've heard it at least twice. You probably said it at home too before you left. And then when you first get to Target and you're walking around, couple times you just kind of stop the cart and you look at the kid this is whenever they drift a little too far early on and you go how many steps away do you think you are Yeah. and then they, they take their they, maybe they guess and then they step or maybe they just count the steps as they go you want to do this so that they are successful a couple times and then you want to do it at a time when they're going to mess it up and have them mess it up and go and that time you want to go all right next time is going to be one so that they know that now, like, game on. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, right. now you got your three. Yeah. And, and, you know, be careful with it. You don't want to just, because you also want to finish your shopping. Yeah. So if they're trying to stay close and trying to do, do it the right way, then maybe you steer the cart towards them a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> right? Every now and then, you know, yeah. like, you can control the environment.
1: Strategy number eight is to have consistent routines with your child. Routines help children feel secure and help them learn to self-regulate. In episode seven on sleep, Pam Diamond shares how to incorporate routines into your child's bedtime.
6: Um, Good routines are so important, and all of our children, from newborns up to school age kids, really need a set, a set, a, uh, set of comforting and predictable routines to help them prepare physically and psychologically for sleep. So we need to have some calm, quiet routines like reading, storytelling, lullabies, and I'm sorry to tell the dads who are typically the biggest culprits that tickling and wrestling and rough play
1: is not good
6: before bedtime. Let's do that right after you get home from work and, you know, during the day on weekends, but not before bed. So we want to... Um, move to the calming uh, routines at that point. Um, we're also preparing our little ones to be separated from us for a long stretch overnight. Mm. So we want the tone to be serene and very reassuring. So parents can... Pick um, things that they enjoy. Actually, that's really important to pick things you enjoy because our children are so ritual oriented. Mm-hmm. You may be doing the same thing over and over and over again. So don't pick things that you just really, really <laughs> don't want to do. Um, find things that you'll enjoy with them. Um, and another important point is that parents need to give their full attention to children at bedtime. It doesn't have to be a long amount right. of time. But during that time, don't be distracted by phones yeah. and emails and household chores. Make it about getting your children uh, ready for bed. So start with a few um, bedtime routines like a bath, putting on jammies, brushing teeth, mm-hmm. going potty. And then choose something that you like to do together. It might be read books, sing a song, play a quiet game, share three things about your day, which I love that kind of reflection, Um, tell a story, and of course, make sure you end it with plenty of hugs and kisses and connection.
1: In episode 30, Lara Keel shares the conscious discipline tool known as DNA, which through empathy helps children use words to express how they are feeling.
9: So my show and tell comes from Conscious Discipline, and really Conscious Discipline itself could be my show and tell. If you're not familiar with it, please definitely check it out. There's some fun free resources on the website and some amazing books and activities. The one that I really want to stress as amazingly beneficial when we're helping kids develop their self-regulation is called the DNA Process. And the D stands for describing. So you want to notice and describe and demonstrate the child's body and face. So when you have a child who's getting really angry and, you know, their face gets all wrinkly and tense, you can say, your face is going like this. And you make the face so that they look. And as they're looking, you take a big, deep breath. Because remember, we want to calm the atmosphere. So you're breathing for them then the N stands for noticing and naming. You're naming that feeling. You seem angry. But notice I said seem, because you don't necessarily know that child is angry. So you say you seem angry. You're going to use your best educated guess in the moment. And when you're wrong, kids like to tell you you're wrong. Mm-hmm. But when you're right, that helps build the connection. And then the A is for acknowledging. And with, you acknowledge wherever that upset might be coming from. So maybe the child is angry because another child knocked over her tower. You built a tower and your friend knocked it over. We can build it again. And just letting them know that you're there and you see them and their feelings are valid can build such a strong attachment and such a strong connection, which then builds resilience and self-regulation skills and all of the wonderful things that we want our kids to develop. And it's got a cool, easy way to remember it, so it's (laughs)
1: DNA. Lastly, it's important to teach children behaviors they can utilize in challenging situations. One great life strategy that can help prevent problems from occurring is to utilize problem solving with your child. Our 10th strategy is problem solving, and it comes from episode 20 with Dr. Ross Green. In this episode, Dr. Green explains his CPS method of problem solving with children.
10: What I did was, uh, and this was with the explosive child back a long time ago when it came out in 1998, but I've been using this framework ever since. And I actually don't call them baskets anymore, I call them plans now. So it's plan A, plan B, and plan C. Those represent three ways to respond to an unsolved problem. So now here's the sequence of events we've made our list of unsolved problems, we've prioritized the list. Because you can't work on everything at once. If you try to work on everything at once, that's the surefire way to guarantee that nothing at all will get solved. So we're going to decide what we're working on and what we're not, what problems we're going to try to solve now, and which ones we're going to set aside, at least for now. The ones we're setting aside, at least for now, that's called Plan C. Those are expectations that have been removed. And an expectation that has been removed is not going to cause challenging behavior anymore because it's an expectation that has been removed. We're not even expecting it anymore. kid's not going to have a meltdown over it if we're not expecting it. That leaves us with only two other plans. One of them is the way you're solving problems in the CPS model. That's called plan B. The other is the way that seems to be very popular for caregivers to solve problems these days, and that's called plan A. The big difference between them is that with plan A, you're solving the problem unilaterally through imposition of a solution, an adult solution. That involves power and control. It also is the primary cause of challenging episodes and challenging kids. So uh, you don't use Plan A when you're using the CPS model. There's no need. CPS model using Plan B to solve problems, and the big difference there is with Plan B you're solving problems collaboratively, something you're doing with the kid, not to him. The kid is a full participant in the process of figuring out What's making that expectation hard for him or her to meet? And coming up with a solution that addresses not only his concerns, but also our concerns. Plan B consists of three steps. The first step is called the empathy step. This is where caregivers are gathering information from the kid about the kid's concern, perspective, point of view, on the unsolved problem we're talking with the kid about. Kids have information we very badly need. Information about what's hard, information about what's getting in the way, kids' concern, perspective, point of view. Second step is called the define adult concerns step. That's where the adult is entering his or her concern into perspective. The very same concern that might previously have led the adult into plan A is now leading the adult into plan B. Same concern, completely different approach to getting it addressed. And the third step, the invitation, that's where kid and adult are collaborating on a solution. But as I always say, a highly specialized type of solution, a solution that addresses the concerns of both parties, concerns we put a lot of energy into identifying in those first two steps of plan B.
1: And that's it for today's show. On our show page, www.discoverychilddevelopmentcenter.com podcast. You can find the list of all 10 strategies we talked about today, as well as links to the episodes. You can also find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash preschoolandbeyond. We thank you all for listening today, and we'll see you again in two weeks. Preschool and Beyond is part of the Parents on Demand Network, the first podcast network devoted to parents and families. Download our free app for Apple or Android. Here's another podcast on our network we think you may
4: enjoy. Want to nourish and nurture that beautiful child of yours? What parent wouldn't? I'm Jill Castle, a registered dietitian and childhood nutrition expert and host of the Nourished Child podcast. Each month, I cover the latest in childhood nutrition, translate it into practical tips and strategies, and showcase some of the most respected experts in the industry. So tune in with me and learn how you can raise a nourished child inside and out.